This is the Huddle Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2. The Huddle. Welcome in to the Huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Keeps, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Rost. We're going to get you guys a preview of the Seahawks' upcoming game against the San Francisco 49ers. But before we do that, we're going to have to take a look back, you guys. But don't worry. There's still some highlights. There's still some fun moments. In fact, one of them right now, we're going to go ahead and head down. Cut number one, Curtis. I don't know if you guys remember this. Maybe the best play of the night. This one from DK Metcalf. First and goal. Russell takes a shotgun snap. Carson. Oh, no. It's picked off. Going the other way. Is Buda Baker down the near sidelines. Nobody's going to catch him unless Metcalf can. He is sprinting. He is running. He dives and he catches him. DK Metcalf catches Buda Baker on a little dump pass into the right flat. Russell never saw him, and he steals the ball away. You know it's a good day, Dave, where even in an interception, there's a highlight from your receiver. <laughs> this is a game that got away from Seattle, but wow. there were moments, I think, for Seahawks fans to enjoy, to be happy with. You know, Ryan Roland Smith texted me the other day and was asking me, hey, what's up with this DK Metcalf guy? Is he worthy of all the hype? And I must have sent him a thousand words in a text about <laughs> how this guy last year was the best rookie I've ever been around. And that's including like Lofa Tupu, uh, Marcus Trufant, Tyler Lockett. He, he just, his humility and that more than made up for him not securing the ball across the goal line against Dallas. And that's that was inspiring. Here's the other thing too. They get four, you know, four plays. They stop them on fourth down. On the other end of the drive that the Seahawks took all the way down the field, he had a really pretty vicious crackback block on the the defensive end linebacker, and then Dwayne Brown pulls around and leads Carlos Hyde up the sideline for 34 yards. But that whole thing started because of DK's block. So I mean, here's two unselfish things. This guy's an amazing receiver. And he play, makes an incredible defensive play. And I, I don't think you can put more effort into what, what he did there. And then, you know, he ends up having a, a block that springs, uh, helps spring a 34-yard touchdown run. Jake, it's a game that got away from Seattle, but what do you take from it offensively? Uh, what do you take, take from it offensively is the idea that this offense is still a, a major problem for any defense in the league. Arizona came into that game giving up, they were second in the league in points uh, given up. I mean, they were, I think heading into that game, they'd only given up 19 points per game. They gave up 34 to the Seattle Seahawks offense. So it just is another reminder that this offense is is a problem for any defense, that you have to, as any NFL team or any NFL opponent goes up against the Seahawks, you're kind of shaking in your boots because you know you're going to be in for a really, really difficult match matchup uh, across the board, passing, running the ball. Uh, this group does an outstanding job. And so I think from that, that really stood out to me. You take away those three uncharacteristic mistakes from Russell Wilson, and this is a, a tremendous night offensively. So the, that's really the takeaway that I have about this group, that this group is still potent. It still can get after anybody. Um, and, and th- you know, the 49ers this week, they're going to have to deal with the Seahawks. You know, I wonder if the Arizona Cardinals were exactly what we thought they were going to be, to paraphrase Dennis Green. <laughs> um, the 49ers seem like an unknown 
Like we going up against Arizona, their offense turned out to be what we thought it was going to be. Their defense played pretty well, especially down the stretch. San Francisco, they've got all these injuries, and yet their defense is still playing out of their minds. And their offense seems there's like a huge variance in what they're um, in what they may be capable of. So, Dave, I feel like evaluating this game is a lot tougher than the last one. Yeah, well, I agree. And you mentioned all the injuries, and here's the thing that that scares me about the 49ers, and I thought, I thought this last year, and this is why I thought they were going to win the Super Bowl last year, um, and I thought they were the best team in the NFL in spite of Baltimore and all that they did. They are really well coached. You, you look at their running game right now, which I think they're number nine right now, number eight, I think, in the NFL they are. They're 138 yards a game. They've had 11 different guys carry the ball, and they just execute. They are so well coached, both on offense and defense. So it's that part is scary because, yeah, they have had a ton of injuries. But, you know, and then you look at some of the losses that they've had are kind of a mystery, you know, getting killed at home by Miami. They got beat by Philadelphia, but they're starting to click right now and they're starting to play well in spite of the injuries. So that that's the thing that uh, really stands out to me is that they just are a very well-coached team, very disciplined, they execute. And then you get guys with just a ton of effort, like, you know, the yards after catch, yards after contact. They call them the Yak Boys down there. They made up some name like, you know, Splash Brothers, whatever. <laughs> and, you know, these guys are fighters. And, you know, they on ESPN they have a little clip of a third and 16 where Debo Samuel last year makes a makes a catch and then – you know, I, I can't remember the phrase that they use, but they, they try to get upfield as fast as they possibly can. It's like a drop step or whatever. And, you know, it, that's just kind of what they're all about. They fight for every yard. You watch Kittle and his blocks. I mean, he just crushes people. So it, it's – and then that Kyle Juszczyk guy, I mean, mm-hmm. they use him quite a bit. He doesn't have a ton of yards, but he's a great blocker. They overwhelm you at the, the, the point of attack defensively. The, the Seahawks are going to have to be really physical in this game. To, to win. So it's going to be a challenge in a, in a different way than it was last week against Arizona. And Dave, you bring up that physicality because that was going to be, you know, my point as I'm listening to you talk is the Seahawks, they're going to have to bring a level of physicality that they have yet to have shown thus far this season. Can they do that without Jamal Adams? Could they do that with not adding Snacks Harrison? I mean, I believe that they're probably going to add Snacks Harrison with the cut to Anthony Rush, but yeah. you just never know. I mean, do they have that ability to you know, be physical like they need to, to to eliminate some of that run game and some of that yards after catch? Yeah, and that's a physical with a capital F, Jake, is how you put it, <laughs> when it's really, really needed. And, uh, you know, that... I'll tell you what, there are some guys, and we'll see with Snack Harrison. Snacks Harrison, um, you know, unfortunately they don't get Dunlap until next week, but he's he's a really physical player. He just plays all over the field. I don't know where they're going to line him up, but he's a good football player. But I'll tell you one one guy, I think KJ's played really physical, really well. Jordan Brooks, I uh, did a football one-on-one thing on him, and his reads, and, and a couple of plays I didn't put in there was him just crushing offensive linemen. You know, he's attacking him. He's he's explosive. And, you know, he makes great reads. And, you know, he did two things in that game that was really special. One was picking up a deep crosser. And they tried to throw it to him. And, you know, later on that didn't get done. And uh, it was the longest play of the game, a, a deep crossing pattern to David Arnold, the tight end. So, you know, he did that well. And then he read his keys on that uh, that goal line play where it was a quarterback sweep. And, you know, he's – 
you know, he, he read the triangle of the two guards in the center, center blocks back, guard pulls, he beats the guy to the point of attack, and then tackles Kyler Murray for, um, uh, you know, a loss there. So they do have the ability to do that. I think they're just going to have to step it up, and I think that's going to be, you know, the sort of battle cry going into this game is be physical. And that wasn't the only news for Seattle this week. Seahawks also getting active before November 3rd's trade deadline, acquiring defensive end Carlos Dunlap from the Bengals in exchange for center B.J. Finney, one of Seattle's free agent additions this past offseason, and a seventh-round pick in 2021. Dave, when you look at Carlos Dunlap, what he can bring this team, um, you guys had an interesting conversation yesterday with a Bengals.com reporter um, who, who basically said, look, this is a, a Cincinnati defense that was starting to adjust with a new scheme to some of their younger players and the strengths of some of their younger players. They had been performing poorly against the run for at least two seasons. They wanted to get better there, and it wasn't a strength of Carlos Dunlap necessarily. Yeah. Um, but it sounds like there's still a lot of optimism that he can get to the passer. Even at 31 years old, he can still be effective there. It's interesting, tra- an interesting trade because it really works out, I think, for both. I mean, they get a seventh rounder, and then they get a backup center that they're or guard that they're pretty familiar with, with uh, B.J. Finney. And then for the Seahawks, you know, he just didn't work out here. And I don't know if he wasn't ready. I don't know if this is maybe one of those COVID things that, you know, they didn't get their eyes on him. But just the way Pete talked about him was very kind of mysterious during camp that, you know, he, he's not quite ready yet. So they kind of gave up something. And then for Carlos Dunlop, yeah, that defense is moving in a different direction. It doesn't mean I don't think that his skills have – uh, tailed off. I, I think it's just that the way they want to play there, he didn't fit in. And so you saw his reps start to go down, and then all of a sudden he started, you know, kind of making a stink there. He made it an appropriate amount of stink to get himself With a traded. Twitter post about yeah. <laughs> advertising it, his Dave, house. You know what? You know what's crazy is, you know, talking about the stink, like, why did he have to do that if they're going in a different direction? The Bengals have, they don't trade people. Like, you look at their history of trades. They've only made, like, four trades in the past, like, 40 years. And their latest trade was Carson Palmer, and that's because he said he was retiring. So he retired, and then they traded him. Like, they don't do it. So as an organization, they disagree with it. So I'm not saying Carlos Dunlap did the right thing, but, man, he really had to make a stink for for them to be willing to give him up. That is an amazing stat that you just threw out there, Jake. It really is. Seven, eight (laughs) trades. That was the the last trade? The last trade was Carson Palmer for, yes, I wow. mean, unbelievable. Yeah. And we're going to get back to this trade with the Bengals. We're actually going to have Ben Baby, uh, who's an ESPN Bengals reporter, Who? on with us. Ben Baby <laughs> at ES, or from ESPN. That's coming up at 1230, so don't worry. We'll dive right back into this. Coming up next, though, we're going to be joined by Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. There's a couple injuries we're all keeping an eye on. Chief among them, running back Chris Carson and safety Jamal Adams. Are they going to play Sunday? We'll ask John next. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. This is The Huddle with Tom Wassel, Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Joining us right now, Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. John, I I know you might not have an answer to it, but I'm going to ask you, are we going to see Jamal Adams this Sunday on the uh, on the field for Seattle? I'm sorry, you cut out there. Did you say Jamal Adams? Jamal Adams. All right. Yeah, I, you're right. I don't have an answer. I, you know, I, we were going into last week thinking it was going to happen. You know, Pete Carroll seemed pretty optimistic about this week. Uh, and then he was unable to practice. I, I do wonder, you know, maybe we'll find out from Pete Carroll on Friday. He was listed as illness and the groin injury. So 
you know, maybe that was why Pete Carroll thought he was going to be able to practice, and then he didn't, as maybe something came up with, with the illness side of it. But, yeah, we'll have to see. I, I think if he's out there today, there's a decent shot at it. But if you can't get him on the field today, I don't, I don't know how likely it is he can play after missing the time he has without at least a couple days of practice. So, you know, as they've been saying all along, they're going to be careful. They want to make sure that they don't bring him back too soon. But, yeah, you would, you'd love to get him back, especially for this 49ers offense and Kittle and all those things. All right, Boyle. It's an injury question, but it's very general. So uh, <laughs> I want to. Yeah. What, what about the running back situation? And we know that you know that. Man. Yeah. It, it's it's kind of scary. I mean, the way it looked yesterday. I mean, uh, it looked like DJ Dallas was pretty much it. But and then I don't see anybody on the practice squad as far as a running back goes. Um, you know what? Just tell us the the general state of the running back position right now. Yeah. It's. We'll have to wait to see later in the week, but as of now, it is a little concerning. You've got three of your four running backs did not practice yesterday with injuries. Uh, Pete Carroll's not ruling anybody out yet. It sounds like they're going to probably take it to the end of the week with all those guys. It's reading between the lines the way Pete Carroll talked about it. I, I think both Hyde and Homer at least have a shot. Carson with that foot is probably going to be one that they take all the way to Sunday and just see how he responds, but if all three of those guys can't go, that leaves you DJ Dallas in a fullback. You're probably going to have to get somebody else ready to play there, whether that's, you know, one of their receivers can play, play a few snaps or something, but you got to have a backup plan. It kind of reminds me what we saw in the second half of that Arizona game last year where everybody got hurt and Travis Homer was all they had. And they kind of had to tell him to, Hey, take it easy. Don't be crashing into every player you can because you're all we got. So uh, you know, maybe you just lean on Russell Wilson a little more. You know, I, I saw somebody tweet Puna Ford's fullback highlights from high school. I'm, oh, I'm all for giving Puna a few carries. That could be a lot of fun. But, I'm uh, yeah. very pro Puna the running back. Well, I, I know what's going to happen. There's going to be a flood of texts that come in. DK Metcalf. DK Metcalf can do anything. Sure. He can so, do anything. Uh, he can rush the know, passer. He can carry the ball, whatever you need. I'm sure he could, but I don't think you take one of your two best receivers out of their job. If you're going to have a receiver do it, maybe you look at one of the guys a little further down the depth chart. There you go. John, it's a little confusing sometimes for our audiences. We're talking about guys that are on IR, that are set to return to IR, um, things of that nature. What does that mean for somebody like Rasheem Green when it says he's designated to return? And is there any other... Uh, guys that are in that same position on this roster. Yeah, so basically the way the IR rules work, they change it again. It's changed a couple times. The new one this year is guys only need to be on IR for three weeks to come back, and there's not a limit of guys you can bring back. It used to be, you know, only one guy and then only two guys. Uh, but the designate for return part basically means they're allowed to practice without taking up a roster spot. So Rasheem Green and Phil Haynes both returned to practice. They brought back Colby Parkinson off the NFI list earlier as well as the defensive back, who I'm totally drawing a blank on his name, and I Reed? apologize, claimed off. Yes, Reed, thank you, DJ Reed from San Francisco. So all those guys can be back practicing now, and once you return, it kicks off a three-week window where you're allowed to practice without being on the roster. After those three weeks, then it becomes they got to add into the roster or then they're done for the season. So that's kind of how that works for all those guys. John, you want to give us your evaluation of the Carlos Dunlap trade, what was given up, what came back, and what position it leaves the Seahawks in? I mean, I love it. It addresses their biggest need by far. I mean, we've seen the defense as a whole has struggled, and you know, you can point to that pass rush as a big factor. And you know, when you're not affecting quarterbacks, it makes it hard on everybody. So you add a guy who's 
been just a consistent, really good pass rusher throughout his career. Hasn't always had the huge seasons, but I think it's seven or eight straight years with seven and a half sacks at least. And he can use that length to bat down passes. He's just, he's a really good all around defensive end. And he didn't have to give up a lot to do it. We saw this last year with Quandre Diggs. It, it, guys can come relatively cheap this time of year if a team's looking to make a deal. So you had a really good player for a seventh round pick. You move B.J. Finney, who was a guy they, they really liked in free agency. And it, was, it was a tough situation for him to come in with an abbreviated offseason. And, and Ethan Postick did a great job and won that center job. So you moved a guy that, not that they didn't like him, but that wasn't helping you on the field at the moment. And a seventh-round pick for a guy that you think can upgrade your defense quite a bit. I, I love the move. John, what what's the latest on some of the guys that haven't necessarily returned to practice yet, specifically Rashad Penny and Daryl Taylor? Yeah, I mean, Penny sounds like he's making really good progress. They just, again, you, you want to take it cautious. And with an ACL, you don't want to bring a guy back too soon. But it sounds very much like he's running really hard and he'll be back. I, I don't want to put timetable on, but I think he'll be back sometime, you know, in the next few weeks, at least practicing, if not ready for games. Taylor, they've been, you know, a little more vague on just because I don't think they know. You know, it's a guy that came in with a, an injury from college, that, that leg injury, he had to have surgery in the offseason. And it's, you know, Pete Carroll has said in the past that not being around with their guys all offseason probably probably did put him back a little bit. Of you know, he's having to do the rehab on his own because he couldn't be here with with no offseason workouts. So, you know, they're they're hoping to get him. You would love to add him to that pass rush late in the year if you can, but I, I don't think that one's in it by any means either. Boyle, what, uh, what did you hear from Pete and the coaches in general about Jordan Brooks? I I was really impressed. He he was very physical. Talked about him at the outset of the show that, you know, this is going to be what they need to to bring to the table against San Francisco because they're they're a physical team. And you know, I thought Jordan Brooks came in and I don't know he played forty forty five percent of the snaps, but sure looked good. Sure looked physical and his reads everything. What they say about Jordan's performance? Yeah, they really liked it. I mean, you look at the stats don't jump out at you. He had seven tackles, one for a loss. But you hear, you can just hear the excitement in Pete Carroll's voice when he talks about him, the speed he plays with. I mean, the, the most obvious play was that tackle for loss down in the red zone on the, the stop after the DK Metcalf tackle, that, that stop they got down there. The third down play where Kyler tries to take it out wide and Brooks just chasing down from behind for a loss. So they really like him. You know, Pete Carroll, there's been a few times where he hasn't been asked about Jordan Brooks, but he's, you know, these big picture defense getting better type pick type conversations. And he brings up Brooks's name unsolicited. He's a guy they see being a big part of their, their defense going down the stretch here. And, you know, considering how little he's played, both because, you know, early in the year he was behind all those guys on the depth chart, and then he got hurt when he did get his chance. So he's barely played. So you you, you would have to think he's just going to keep getting better as he gets more comfortable. John, how important is it for guys like Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf to you know almost kind of have they? There's sometimes they have big performances together, and sometimes they go off in, in one game. You know, one guy takes the lead versus the other. You know, how big is that for this offense as they're continuing to? need to put up, you know, it looks like 30-plus points per game. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's why it's not very, not very many teams can do this, but when you have two truly elite receivers, it makes all the difference in the world because we saw, I mean, DK Metcalf kind of called this last week. We asked him about matching up with Patrick Peterson, and he said, you know, look, if they want to do that, that's going to create opportunities for other guys, and sure enough, they did a pretty good job keeping DK Metcalf to a quiet game, but Tyler Lockett had one of the best games in Seahawks history of 15 catches, 200 yards, 
three touchdowns. I mean, that puts him in very, very rare company. So, yeah, it's, you know, if you only have one great receiver, a team can scheme against that and you take your chances with the other guys and you might be able to slow an offense down. But when you have both those guys going like they are this season, you know, some games you might see them both get around 100, which we've seen, and some games you slow one guy down and the other guy just goes off. He is Seahawks.com reporter John Boyle. You can hear him every Thursday right here on The Huddle. Thanks, John. Of course. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, guys. Normally we'd go behind enemy lines next with a 49ers reporter, but given the trade news this week, we're actually going to take you to Cincy to get to know the newest Seahawk. Bengals reporter Ben Baby joins us next on The Huddle. This is The Huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into the huddle with Dave Wyman, Tom Wassel, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Getting you guys ready for the Seahawks' upcoming game against the 49ers. We've got plenty to preview with San Francisco, but before we do that, uh, we're going to spend a while looking at Seattle's newest acquisition. Your newest Seahawk is defensive end Carlos Dunlap. Joining us now to help us know a bit more about Carlos on and off the field is ESPN reporter Ben Baby. Ben, how are you? I'm doing well. How are y'all doing? Good, good. So, I mean, I'm just going to get started with it's it's a I guess a vague question, but one that we're all kind of wondering, which is what went wrong for Dunlap in Cincinnati? Well, I think we could spend probably a, a whole segment on that Easily. alone, but uh, <laughs> you know, I think you could just if you look at what happened over the last couple of years, I think it's just a it's a case of, you know, you had a guy who was um, really big under a previous regime, a, a new staff comes in, they've got a different idea for how things should look. And it just never really sat well. And I think that from the beginning, you could always say, honestly, uh, since that Seattle game uh, against the Bengals in, in 2019, you know, that, that debut game when you saw what the scheme was more or less going to look like, uh, you, you got a sense of, okay, this might be an issue uh, moving forward in the way that, you know, Lou Analuma, the defensive coordinator, saw uh, his defense as a 3-4 and Dunlap was not necessarily a 3-4 guy. I think that's really the heart of the matter. And then from there, things just kind of spiraled. Um, you know, you had, I, I think Carlos more or less, you know, I think probably wasn't enthused about what was going on. And uh, you could tell the numbers dropped off towards the end of last year. He, he picked things back up again, but this season, uh, you know, did not really do much of anything for the most part, uh, was benched. And then eventually, you know, it got to the point where it was best for both sides uh, to part ways. And, you know, I, I think he'll probably end up doing pretty well, to be quite honest, out in Seattle. I just think that he probably needed uh, a new start after, after you know, working with this staff for a couple seasons. Yeah, I'll tell you what, Ben, guys that come here from other teams, they're, like, blown away. It really is a, a really good um, sort of player-friendly atmosphere. Tell us, you know, that we, they had a guy here, Jamal Adams, that they, they traded for that also made kind of a stink. Right. I mean, it wasn't, you know, and he's a great guy and a great teammate and everything, but he did just enough to get himself out of town, you know, get traded. And uh, I'm assuming it's the same thing with Carlos, because it sounds like uh, from everybody's account that he's a good dude. Yeah, I think he was he was well liked around the community. I think, you know, in the locker room, uh, you know, I'm sure there were some various opinions about about him over the years, but. You know, by and large, I think, you know, especially, you know, his teammates and guys in the position group had a lot of good things to say. Guys who have all spoken publicly the last couple of days um, have a good thing to say about Carlos. And, you know, it's going to be interesting. I know that the Seahawks need some consistent edge rush. And I think, you know, Carlos is best used when he put his hand in the dirt. I think anyone can kind of uh, can tell you that. And when he's doing that, you know, he can be effective. You know, Carlos has never been, you know, a really high-digit uh, sack guy. only broken 10 or more sacks during once. Uh, in his career so far, you know, last year came close with a late push. 
Uh, but, you know, I think he's always had the natural tools and the ability. I think it's always just about his motor. And I think for Pete Carroll, that's going to be the biggest thing is can they tap into Carlos's excuse me, motor. And I think, you know, with him, you know, with everything that's happened this season, I would expect him to be very motivated to go out and do well. So that shouldn't be an issue this year. And, you know, if, if it ends up being a problem, luckily, you know, for, for the Seahawks, the cap hit, um, you know, they'll be able to you know save upwards of $11 million if they decide to cut him uh, before next season. So really this is a low-risk play for them, and I think this really works out well, like I said, for both sides. Ben, he hasn't had 10 sacks, but our our leading sacker last year was four. So if we can get anything above <laughs> we'll that, it. we will be surely happy here in Seattle. Um, but, Ben, one of the big questions, and you kind of addressed it a little bit, is uh, here in Seattle, outside of the you know personal issues that, that he had with the organization, is can this guy still play? Can this guy still contribute at a high level? Physically, has he dropped off? Um, it, was it noticeable, or is this a guy who just was eventually left out of a organization that was ready to move on or changing to a new scheme? Yeah, I think it's I think it's really just a motor issue. And, and, and let's not sleep on my boy out in Robinson. Uh, I've actually knew, I've known him since he was in high school, um, and I think actually my first job I saw Jamal Adams when he was at Hebrew, and so both of those guys I've seen over the years. Uh, but I, I honestly think, on a side note, I think Alton, you know, has a lot of tools. I was always impressed with him, and I think he's a he's a really good sleeper candidate to to do well over there. But aside from that, that being said, um, you know, Carlos, I do think it it was simply just a motor thing. I think it was more or less he was he was kind of checked out, you know, in, in the story we ran today on ESPN that the one of the position uh, the team meeting rooms was repositioned just so they could make sure that that Carlos was staying engaged during meetings, and I think that spoke volumes as kind of where, where the disconnect was. Uh, on both sides, and, and I think there's definitely fault uh, on both sides of this, this situation. I think that, yes, Carlos probably should have been used better in the scheme, and yes, uh, Carlos's effort probably should have been better, um, and, and that's one thing under this new staff, I think, that, that they don't really have a tolerance for, and so that's kind of why you saw what happened over the, over the course of the last few weeks, but you know, I, I think you know you saw the press conference from head coach Jack Taylor yesterday. Um, you saw the reaction from Carlos. I think everyone is just relieved uh, that this situation's over from on both sides, and and now they can move on. Carlos, uh, to, to you know, like I said, I think he's going to be pretty productive in Seattle for the rest of this year. I think he's got some juice left. Uh, you know, he's he's pretty well rested. He hasn't really played a ton of snaps this year, so that should go well for the Seahawks uh, during the rest of the season. If he had a good attitude, but um, he were playing poorly, would he still have been benched or the reverse? I guess what I'm getting at is what really led to the benching? Was it because he was playing poorly or not contributing, or was it because of his attitude? I, I think it's probably a mix of both, but I think that the performance was probably just because he just wasn't really enthused about what was going on. I mean, even in his exit interview uh, yesterday with, with the team website, uh, of all people, you know, he he said, you know, this was a four-three scheme. I'm or a three-four scheme. I'm not really a three-four guy. Um, and you just got a sense of, you know, he just wasn't really, um, you know, he wasn't really thrilled about what was going on. And you know, I didn't really ever think, to be honest with you, I was never really convinced he was just angling for a trade. I think he was just upset with what had gone on um, because, you know, the franchise, you know, the front office really thought highly of him all the way through. I mean, the fact that Mike Brown put out a statement yesterday. I was pretty rare because Mike Brown does not do that very often. I mean, he hasn't. I, this is my second year covering the team. He hasn't. He hasn't had a press conference once uh, since the start of the 2019 season. Um, so for him to come out and say something about Carlos is, is pretty big. And um, you know, it just 
I, I think that the, the the effort, you know, probably predicated the you know the play and the performance and the fact that he only has one sack. And uh, you know, I, I think that you know it, that should change now that he is in a new place and, and at a new team. What's he like as a locker room presence and also off the field? I mean, tell us a bit more about Carlos Dunlap, the person, the teammate. Yeah, you know, you know, a lot of guys, you know, had, had good things to say. You know, Carl Lawson, you know, spoke really highly of him at defensive end. Joe Burrow said that, you know, Carlos helped him out, um, you know, in adjusting. I think Carlos is big into, you know, getting your body right. Um, I think he's been suggesting chiropractors, the guys in Cincinnati for a little bit. And so I'm sure the rookies appreciate that when they make that adjustment. And then, you know, he's obviously, you know, anyone who follows him on Instagram knows he's, he's big into cooking, uh, has a restaurant out in Miami. Um, and, and has, does a lot of community initiatives. And, and you know, there were, there were games last year where the Bengals got absolutely pummeled um, and nobody really wanted to talk, and, and Carlos Dunlap was more than happy to do that. And so, you know, it, it is kind of a strange ending uh, to, to Carlos's tenure here. I think that he was really well-liked uh, by the fan base, and the fan base does kind of understand kind of what's going on, too. And, uh, you know, it just it's just one of these things, for whatever reason, in Cincinnati, uh, you have these things where, uh, veterans who play for a while have some very uh, unceremonious uh, departures, uh, you know, in, in the Oakland, you know, Carson Palmer jumping out to mind a few years ago. So, you know, I, I think it's just one of those situations. He's, you know, the franchise's all-time sack leader, and I think guys uh, knew what they were getting. And, and you know, when, when Carlos turned it on, you know, I think he, he's, you know, right up there and has, you know, he can definitely get after the pass rusher or get after the quarterback. So I'm very curious to see, you know, how this shakes out with him in Seattle. He is Ben Baby of ESPN. You can follow him at Ben underscore Baby. Also read his stuff at ESPN.com. He's got a really cool article, by the way, for any LSU or Bengals fans out there about Joe Burrow getting help from the Manning family. Uh, it's it's a great one. I do recommend it. So, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the insight. Yeah, thank you all for the kind words and for the time. I appreciate it. All right. Wow, I wish I could get that kind of dedication from Stacy Ross. That's that's fantastic. <laughs> Going to be like Dan Wyman is joining us now <laughs> on the huddle. Great guy, Dan, a former quarterback. For, you're a former quarterback, Dan. That's last. Oh, just forget it. <laughs> Don't forget about it. All right, all right. It. Listen up, guys. Listen up. This offensive line has been much improved this season, but they might still have their hands full against the 49ers defense. Nick Bosa or no? We'll ask former lineman and current Seahawks pre and post game show host Ray Roberts about that match- matchup next on the huddle. This is The Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. All right, we're going to be joined shortly by Ray Roberts, who's a host on the Seahawks pre- and post-game show, former offensive lineman himself. Before we're joined by Ray, we're going to talk a bit uh, about the offensive line through, what's now, seven weeks, six weeks, um, six games in the NFL so far, they've been much improved. I think, even though uh, they've taken a step forward, you know, as far as the eye test and pass protection, it doesn't always look like that. As far as stats go, we asked Ray about it last week. He said, "Yeah, I see that too. I see them taking a step forward there." Um, you know, Dave, we'll just start with some of the depth already. They don't have B.J. Finney anymore. Not that he was really uh, contributing a lot to depth there. Um, but they did lean on some backups at guard, specifically with Jordan Simmons helping them out. Mikey Potty didn't practice again yesterday, could once again be out this week. What have you seen from Simmons and just from the depth on the offensive line overall? It's been it's been solid, and I think the the, the part where it was the most – well, here, here's my indicator. Bob Stelton is no longer complaining about the offensive line. That's how you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. And that was a pretty regular occurrence from Bob. But, no, it, it's – 
it's been good. I mean, Russ has had time, and you see that you know his yards per attempt is one of the best in in the NFL, or the highest, I should say, and and that just indicates that he's getting time to throw the ball. So, you know, they threw a lot of stuff at at him and this offense and you had a rookie running back out there trying to pick up blitzes and that didn't work so well. So, uh, but no, I, I think honestly they've been really good. And I just wanted to give a shout out to Dwayne Brown mm. twice for what would be 47 yards. I think uh, one was 13 yards. The other one was 34 um, where he pulled around the outside. And I mentioned that play earlier where DK blocks down and then Dwayne Brown pulls around, and you know he he is thirty five years old, and and he's really done a good job, really a good job of uh, you know keeping Russell clean. So yeah, just the offensive line in general has been a, a really pleasant surprise. And the other thing too, you know, Jamarco Jones, I, I think is a really good football player. He's available. They kind of you know, like I said earlier, they've uh, substituted them in in the Miami game, which I thought worked really well. So it was nice to see. Jake, you do a lot of tape study here uh i know this 49ers defensive line doesn't have nick bosa anymore they're short a couple other starters in the front seven but as far as what you've seen from the seahawks offensive line how do you think that matchup will stack up well it's certainly going to be a challenge because even though they they lose some guys uh or the 49ers have lost some guys to injuries they, they still have a good group rushing the passer. I mean, it's particularly in the interior. You still have um, Eric Armstead who can play inside, outside. You know, they do twists and stunts to get him inside against guards sometimes. And then uh, Javon Kinlaw, their first-round pick of this year, I thought played really well. So you look at some of those things, and I think that uh, it, it's going to be a test to Ethan Posick, Damian Lewis, and Jordan Simmons. But to you go on in Jordan Simmons and the job that he's done, Two straight starts for Mikey Potty. This is from Brady Henderson um, of ESPN. He threw out a stat here on Twitter that's uh, now he is the seventh best pass block win rate of any NFL offensive lineman at 96.3%, wow. which is third best among guards. So when you talk about Jordan Simmons' effort, he's playing really good football right now. Dave, I have a question for you. Yeah. Um, you, you pointed out the – you know, the rookie running back in D.J. Dallas sort of struggling to block, particularly late in the game after Homer went out. Did it seem like maybe in overtime late in the fourth quarter that Arizona suddenly just got creative <laughs> defensively and kind of overwhelmed the Seahawks the Seahawk offensive line, which is maybe part of what led to Russell throwing that last pick? Yeah, absolutely. They, they just took a ton of chances there, and I, I thought it was – you know, look, that, that could have not worked for Vance Joseph, their D coordinator. It could have not worked because Russ is a guy that can burn you in those situations, and they gambled and won on that one. And, you know, and I, it looked like an easy pickup for DJ Dallas, but when you're a rookie and everything's moving so fast and you're like, ah, we didn't go over this in practice, uh, we didn't see this on film, and all of a sudden it's new, it, it's difficult. So... I would, you know, I know a lot of people faulted DJ Dallas and, you know, took him down a notch in their mind as far as the kind of player that he is, but that's tough on a rookie. But yeah, they took a ton of chances at the end, you know, and I, I figure if you're Vance Joseph, you go, look, this guy's won 34 fourth quarter and overtime come back, come from behind wins, Russell Wilson has. And, you know, he's, he's the best in these situations. You've seen the Minnesota film where he took him 95 yards. I don't want to sit back and just, 
let this guy, you know, <laughs> sit back there and, and throw the ball around. So I, I feel like it was uh, he gambled and won on that one. And, you know, Russ will be better for it. The offense will be better for it because they've, you know, now they've seen that kind of uh, that kind of gambling defense and how to pick it up in the future. But he definitely made the right call there. And, you know, he could have gotten burned there. You know, that could have been, instead of an interception, that could have been a, a touchdown And with Russell Wilson. And I'll take Russ in that situation every time. But, yeah, they just got more and more creative and more and more, you know, as far as the taking risk, they were at, at the high end of risk-taking there defensively. Well, you look at those situations as well, Dave. Sometimes, as you as you know, as a defensive coordinator and and as a defense, sometimes when your back's against the wall, you got to throw something out there, right? Like uh, you have to just kind of see what sticks because nothing's working. And if it works, then great. And very rarely do you see Russell Wilson and this offense not have an answer. And that's what it looked like at the end of that game. Um, and you got to. Uh, you know that those guys are going to take that personally, that they are going to look at that situation and say, man, we did not perform well in this situation. That can never happen again. And so I think the defenses are going to try, the 49ers might try to implement some of those same type of schemes or be a little bit more aggressive uh, from time to time. Um, and hopefully the Seahawks, uh, the, the offensive coaching staff, Russell Wilson and this group as a whole, have really ironed that out during the week so that they can be better in those situations. Can we take a look at the other side of the ball, at least for San Francisco? I expected this defense to struggle a lot more than they are without Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas. Um, so far, you've, you've seen them kind of come out okay. Hyder, who's the guy filling in, and I think a right defensive end, Kerry Hyder, he's leading the team in sacks right now. I mean, they've been able to still bring pressure. It hasn't been the 49ers' uh, defensive line we saw last year, but they've been pretty good without some of their stars. Dave, when you, when you look at this group, I mean, are they still pretty dangerous? Who, who do you have an eye on here when you're you know, up in the booth with, with Steve this weekend? Well, I, I think Fred Warner, and I know that um, whoever was doing the game last week, Tony Romo, I think, called him the best linebacker in the NFL. And he's got a couple picks. He's got a ton of tackles, tackles for loss. So he really stands out. And that was the guy that uh, we used to call him Shoeless Fred Warner because he's the one that lost his shoe and Russ picked it up and threw it off to the sidelines. Oh, that was very controversial at the time. Yeah, at at home. But um, I I think Robert Sala does a really good job. Uh, with it's the same type of standard that you get from on the offensive side as well. And it's just the Kyle Shanahan, John Lynch sort of formula that they do things that are, you know, there's some creative stuff too, but they're pretty simple. And I think they, they just teach about winning at the point of attack and it's like basics. And so that's why I, I feel like you kind of plug guys in, in their running game and then on defense as well, that they've had, a fair amount of success. I mean, they've actually look at their their fifth in the NFL in scoring and yardage, and yet they've lost. You know, D Ford and Bosa. I mean, it's just been nothing but injuries, and uh, they just keep plugging those guys in and do really well. And you know, they're third against the pass, and no Richard Sherman, and they've got a, had a bunch of defensive backs uh, injured, and then of course the the pass rush. It was depleted, so it's just a well-coached team, and I've always admired them in that regard. And always, I, I love, I hate that they're in our division, and I don't like complimenting the Forty Nine ers. Want to be able to root for them from afar? Yeah, is what you're saying. but but you can't. So they're they're doing a, a really good job with with what they have, 
And sometimes, you know, when your back's up against the wall and, you know, you get your guys hurt, there's kind of a rally cry that, that uh, happens. And, you know, and the coaches, you can do a really good job as a coach getting a guy going, getting a, a player going by saying, hey, man, we believe in you. And, you know, just because we lost this guy and that guy, we want you to step up. We're fully, you know, um, we, we, we're behind you. We back you. We know that you can go in there and do the job. And I feel like that you get a lot of that from what I understand from their coaching staff down there. You know, I've been wondering about Sala a lot lately. I mean, he's a guy that was here from 2011 to 2013. You know, he was not let go, but he got another opportunity in uh, Jacksonville, then ended up in San Francisco. But of all the guys that we could have, or maybe that you would have wanted to hold on to on this defensive staff over the years, that's one that I feel like really got away. I mean, Chris Richard's now gone. Even Norton was gone for a time. Don't you feel like, man, I'd love to have that guy back here. Like it would have been nice to have him as a defensive coordinator. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I know that Kenny is uh, being questioned a lot right now. And, you know, as far as, uh, you know, what, what they're doing defensively, it's not good right now. What, what the Seahawks are, it's historically bad right now, but, you know, we talked to Pete the other day and he said, look, I'm in these meetings, too, and I, we've always said this. This is Pete's defense. So uh, it, it's similar to what went on last year. It's it's like, look, we're going to win. You know, We're going to keep everything in front of us, and we're going to try to take the ball away. And that's the one time they didn't. They yeah. didn't win the turnover battle. And that's the thing you know, we've talked about is, is this sustainable? And at some point, you're not going to get the, the fourth quarter big play out of Benson Mayoa or you're not going to get the K.J. Wright interception and fumble recovery. And when that happens, you're probably going to lose And the way that they're giving up yardage right now. But, but again, you know, this, is, this is how they managed it last year. They feel like with the talent that they have that this is the defense that they need to play. And it got them 12 wins last year, and right now it's got them at 5-1. and one. So, you know, I, I, I know the numbers are bad and it's historically bad and everything, but, you know, you also kind of coach to your entire team and right now, I mean, over the last year and a half or year and five games, six games, they're, what are they, like 17 and 7, you know? So, I mean, look, that's that that's a pretty good record, and that's kind of how they're coaching right now. But I, I keep feeling, do you guys feel like there's not enough talent on this defense? Because yeah. I I feel like... There is enough talent. I'd, I'd say it's middle of the road. If you put you know guys like Bobby and KJ, Jamal, premier players, maybe some of the other guys are more like you know. But whatever, they're about average. They should have those kinds of numbers, and they don't. Let's continue this conversation with the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. I like this question, Dave. We'll ask Steve next on the huddle. This is the huddle. Every Thursday from noon to two. The huddle. Welcome back to the huddle with Tom Wassel, Dave Wyman, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. Joining us right now, it's the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Rabes, how are you? Stacey, I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks. I, I'm going to get kind of the tough conversation out of the way first. I do want your insight. I'm hoping you can help me feel a little bit better about this defense. <laughs> help me out, Rabes. I know they're getting reinforcements. I mean, what's your take so far? Where are they at right now with you? Well... You know, I mean, I'm not, I'm not breaking any new, <clears throat> excuse me, any new ground here. They've got a, a the Seahawks have uh, a wonderfully diverse, potent, explosive offense, and a defense that is is 
still literally trying to find its way. I, I think they understand in many cases what it is that they have to do and need to do and what each individual player has to do. They're just not doing it as a group. And um, as we often talk about, if it was one thing, if it was one player who was over, you know, consistently over time making mistakes, then you can remedy that. If it's kind of the system or you're trying to do too many things, you can, you can you know, kind of uh, relax a little bit of that and, and cut the game plan down. But it's a combination of things. It seems like every, every series it's something else. It's somebody not holding their lane. It's somebody not getting the pressure upfield. It's somebody not uh, handing off properly in coverage. And, and you know, this is a group of guys, some of whom have played together for a while, and a, a, a fairly large member, number of them haven't. And they're just getting used to each other. So, I mean, that's kind of my take on it right now. Is this a bad football team? Absolutely not. We're, you know, we're at the top of the division right now and playing an, a team that is coming back from a lot of injuries while we're kind of in the throes of some injuries. So it should be a pretty good contest that way. Rabes, it's it's interesting in these uh, division games because, you know, there's kind of a little back and forth, and you see sometimes other teams have uh, have another team's number. And the Seahawks, I thought, had San Francisco's number last year. And I feel like they, they match up really well. What, what kind of a game? Oh, I sound like Graz. What kind of a game are you expecting? But, I mean, again, look, it, it's. I feel like no matter what, this can't help but be an incredibly tight game. It's going to come down to it in the end, I feel like. Well, it, it, it seems that way. Now, whether it's going to be a 38-36 game or whether it's going to be an 18-15 game is, you know, remains to be seen. Um, I, you know, I, I, I certainly like our chances. I think being at home, uh, I think after what happened last week, I think there's a lot of the guys on the defense who are just really – uh, kind of looking really inside at themselves and saying, what more could I have done? Uh, you heard it right after the game from Bobby. Uh, but each one of those guys and coaches and Pete, because this defense is Pete's defense. Uh, you know, I, I see where there's a lot of clamoring for, well, should you do something about Ken Norton Jr.? Well, this is Pete's defense, and right. he, he uh, recognized that. I, I frankly think it's going to be um, – this is my own uh, feeling here, and I know nothing, as you know. Uh, but I think Seahawks are going to win, and I think they're going to win kind of going away. I think this will be one of the games that they have uh, they put everything together. Uh, and, and I don't say that for, for having any real knowledge other than the fact that San Francisco's been kind of up and down. They've got a lot of guys who are hurt. Garoppolo is you know, still coming back off of that ankle injury, and he's probably not playing at 100%. He's not a terribly mobile quarterback anyway. If ever the defense is going to get well and put some pressure on the quarterback, I think this is going to be it. I see a couple of big things that you've got to do on defense if you want to stop San Francisco, and one of them is find a way to shut down George Kittle or at least control him a little bit. Uh, but I like our chances a lot this week. Uh, Rabel, as you mentioned that, it's, it's also the feeling that I had against – the Arizona Cardinals for the Seahawks, that there is a little bit of, you know, schedule-wise and also just kind of where they're at as a ball club that they play up and down. And I think that manifested itself in the game last week. The only difference was is the Seahawks didn't finish the game. We're right. accustomed to seeing them finish. And, I mean, with what you know about Pete Carroll and this organization and what how long you've been around them, I mean, could you do you anticipate seeing this group not finish again, Russell Wilson not finish again at the end of the game? Uh, I, I don't, uh, and, and I attribute now some of that, and, and Pete did too, but I attribute some of that. When you start looking at what uh, 
uh, Arizona did, especially at the end of that game in the fourth quarter and in overtime. I, there were times when, when they get up to the line of scrimmage and I was trying to set the call for the play. And, you know, you've heard me enough to know, Jake, I try to set it, okay, you know, it looks like a four-man rush or four down linemen or whatever. It looked like they had, it looked like they had 13 guys at the line of scrimmage at times. And <laughs> then they would pull out randomly, and it left guys looking around like, okay, who is it that I'm supposed to block here? And it really hurt, I think, uh, DJ Dallas a couple of times back there, and, and Russ, uh, I think, was feeling that a lot at the end of the game. I don't think we're going to see that out of San Francisco mostly because I don't think they have the same kind of personnel. Now, will we see Fred Warner blitz from his middle linebacker spot? Yeah. Is, uh, are some of those defensive linemen pretty darn good? Yeah, no question. But, uh, I, you know, we could be facing two backup safeties and a backup corner, you know, the way these guys have been hurt. So I, I like Russell's ability to win football games. What is he, 31-8 and eight after an in-season loss? I, I hate to be the team that has to face Russell Wilson and company after they get beat. Raves, that play that DK Metcalf made uh, on the Buda Baker pick was one of the best plays I've ever seen made in any sport. I mean, it was just inspiring, even beyond football, I thought. Yeah. Now, if you see something like that and you're on DK Metcalf's team, what kind of effect does that have on his teammates in terms of, like, I guess, inspiration? On, his, on, on DK's teammates? Yeah. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, it. if you're a teammate, you already have a pretty good idea of who that guy is because you see him every day. You see him in the locker room. You see him in the meeting room studying. You understand how seriously he takes the game and how much he wants to be, I don't want to say a star, because there's a difference between being a star and being the best. And oftentimes it goes hand in hand, but there is a difference. And he wants to be the best. And he knows the things he needs to work on, and he knows the things that he's good at, and one of the things he knows he can do is run, and he is relentless. And that chasing down uh, Buda Baker was one of the most unbelievable plays I know I've ever seen. And I know when I called it, I said it looks like he's gone unless D.K. Metcalf can chase him down, and sure enough, he did. Uh, it was just stunning. I've played with a lot of, you know, I played with a lot of really good receivers. I've watched a bunch of them over time, uh, and a lot of guys would have just given up on that and said, okay, that's a, we'll, we'll give it to them at six points. You know, there was a 13-point swing there, 14-point swing. The touchdown and PAT they didn't get, and the one that we did get by going 97 yards. I think that says so much about, about that team, frankly, but about DK in particular. He is the voice of the Seahawks, Steve Rabel. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Okay, guys, thank you. Guys, I do it every week. I mean to say, Rabes, thanks so much. And I say, Steve, I say it every single Thursday, constantly messing this up, dropping the ball. Gosh. Well, his name is Steve. I know, but I don't call him Steve. I'm like, who's Steve? The second I say Steve, I'm like, who am I even talking to? Who are you, Stacy? Gosh. All right, guys. We're taking you down to San Francisco with the latest from the 49ers. Uh, head coach Kyle Shanahan speaking to media. That's next on The Huddle. This is the huddle every Thursday from noon to two on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back to the huddle with Dave Wyman, Jake Heats, Tom Wassel, and Stacey Ross. Kyle Shanahan spoke with reporters earlier today, had some updates on injuries, uh, players that we may or may not see for San Francisco this Sunday. So let's go ahead and get things started with former Seahawk Richard Sherman. Cut number three here. What's his status for Sunday? 
not sure. I mean, he's week to week right now. I know it's going to be at least a few weeks, but I know he's not playing this week. So, rules out Richard Sherman, at least, for this Sunday in that secondary. That secondary, though, Dave, I'm looking at it. I know you're a fan of seeing Jamar Taylor out there. No. I, I don't want to say fan. I, Jamar Taylor playing really well at nickel for them, which upsets you. That bothers me. That secondary, though, still pretty solid. You had a couple guys <laughs> as an injury update. Jaquiski Tart, Jason Verrett, uh, Jimmy Ward were all di- uh, do not practice Wednesday. Um Still, though, I mean, overall, assuming these guys can play, they're mostly healthy back there except for Sherman. Yeah, this is the hardest uh, injury report, I think. How did the Seahawks practice yesterday, first no of all? Clue. They had one running back. And then, um, yeah, with, with uh, the Niners, like D4 is out, Bosa is out, some, you know, Mostert is out, I believe. I mean, there's, a lot, there's so many guys to keep track of. But again, you know, they just kind of plug guys in and they make plays. I- I'll say this, and Jake, I'll ask you. I saw Cam Newton throw some of the worst passes I've I've seen a pro football player throw last week. Oh my gosh! And and there was something with uh, the ball was like tailing down or something, but he was horrible. And so, but yeah, it does bother me that Jamar Taylor. I can it, tell. It got a couple of picks because he was a nice guy, loved him, everything, but just it did not work out, and he was. He was always like just a step behind everybody, and he ends up getting two picks. One of them was tipped up in the air, yeah. but the other one was a, was it was a good play by him. But again, it was a horrible it was a horrible pass by uh, Jarrett Stidham. So, um, but yeah, that again, this is a, a group that you know they just next man up. They're well coached, and so yeah, we'll we'll see what we get. But they're pretty banged up, and you know, in the beginning, it was like it looked like. Oh my gosh! I mean, Garoppolo went down, and I want to say Coleman went down. I mean, that that one Jets game, it was it was ridiculous. It was ridiculous, and you look, and that's why you know, as I was telling Rabel in the last segment, there, you know, as I looked at Arizona last week, I just really felt that they were a team, a good team, but that they were inconsistent and up and down, and not necessarily that team that. Uh, is as strong as everybody thinks they are. Now, don't get me wrong, they won the game, but if you look at it, multiple times the Seahawks had opportunities to ha- to control the game, slam the door shut, and and be the more superior team, right? And they just kept blowing opportunities. And, and I think that that is also going to be the mark for this game with the 49ers. The Seahawks have a chance, offensively at least, to control the game uh you look at the 49ers and when they played the the Patriots Cam Newton looks like his shoulder is already gone like that maybe he was able to keep it together for the first you know four weeks of the season and now his health is really coming back uh again because you mentioned some of those throws Dave I mean those are the really the only explanations for him because mechanically he he looked fine, just his shoulder doesn't seem like it's holding up um, from from what I can see and what I can evaluate after watching that game and that film. So I, I think that any team, especially the 49ers, they, they haven't seen an offense like the Seahawks yet. And that just is a compliment to what the Seahawks group is. And it, we'll see if they're able to have any semblance of controlling the game uh, if the defense can get these guys off the field or, or get a couple key turnovers because Jimmy Garoppolo is going to give them opportunities to do so. Now, there was a while there when we thought the 49ers might be done. They'd suffered a ton of injuries and then had a devastating, embarrassing loss to the Miami Dolphins, a team the Seahawks beat 
I think just a week or two before then. Kyle Shanahan in cut number six, though, talks about the improvement he's seen from his team since. You know, I think just playing hard, rallying together. I mean, we, we had two real bad losses in a row. One, um, you know, I thought that got away from us and one we got embarrassed in. And um, usually you go one way or another after that. And our guys came in and regrouped, had a great week of practice and just focused on trying to get better and play um, hard as a team. And I thought we did that two weeks in a row and uh, the results have been good because of it. Tom, you, like many of us, I think we're ready to say like, hey, 49ers are done. They're done. They're finished. Benito. Stick a fork in them. Instead, though, they've, they've seemed to bounce back. Back-to-back wins, looking real good, getting healthier. Tevin Coleman could be back here. I mean, what are you seeing from them? Yeah, look, here's the confusing part. I don't, even with the extra playoff spot, I don't think every team in this division is going to make the playoffs. And it still feels to me like San Francisco is going to be the odd team out just because of the number of injuries they have. Every team is good. Um, it feels like they're going to come up short in the end. Problem being, every team that they face, they are just going to give fits to because they are a well-coached, prepared, tough, tough team to beat. Like, they may not have enough firepower in the end because they just – I think they're lacking elite quarterback play, and you just have to have that. If you're going to get far, if you're going to be – if you're going to separate yourself in any way from the rest of the pack, you have to have elite quarterback play. I don't think they have it. they got 18 running backs uh, – the wide receiving situation, you know, Samuel's always, he's in, he's out, he's in, he's out. So I think they'll come up short. But, man, I don't ever want to face them, do you? No, it's, again, the coaching part of it is what stands out to me, is just how they execute. And, you know, a guy right. like Kyle Juszczyk, their fullback, who doesn't have a lot of yards or anything, but he's just, he's so key, him and then uh, their offensive line's playing really well, too. But do you guys believe in matchups? Because, you know, I, I thought the yeah. Seahawks... I thought you were going to say miracles. <laughs> do you believe in <laughs> miracles? Yeah, Michael. Uh, no, because, for example, I remember we go and play in uh, Green Bay in the in the postseason last year, and the the one team that like gave them fits was the Detroit Lions. Yeah. And uh, they actually did not lead in any of those games until... Time expired. They kicked game-winning field goals to beat, and and I, I want to say the, you know, last year the um, the the Lions were like three, twelve and one or something like that. So and and the Seahawks just look, they were one foot away from winning the second game and and winning the NFC West. So they just have a tendency, even as well as they are coached and everything. And Rabel thinks they're, you know, you heard him. He said they're going to win going away. And I'm like, wow, that's a that's a bold prediction. I think it's going to be – I think the Seahawks will be able to win just because they are they match up well against uh, the 49ers but, uh, and the coaching styles and everything. But, you know, I, I feel like it's going to be a t- another tight game. They certainly haven't been – they haven't not played a tight game so far other than the Miami Dolphins game, and still that one had, had you on the edge of your seat. But you, you talk about coaching, and – it really is a tip of the cap to the 49ers in this one because as much as we talked about the Seahawks and oh, injuries and, hey, maybe they get their guys back and we'll be able to see this group um, uh, you know, play well once they get their guys back, and that might be true. That may be true. But what the 49ers have been able to do defensively, despite having 
so many of their key defensive players out. I mean, three defensive linemen on IR, four um, from the secondary, and they've been able to still play really good football. It's very, very impressive what they've been able to do and what they've been able to maintain and kind of weather the storm as they figure it out. And uh, we won't go to the cuts here, but just some injury updates on the 49ers side of things for you guys. Uh, Shanahan optimistic that running back Tevin Coleman will be back this week. They could be short running back Jeff Wilson Jr., who had maybe the best game of his career in a win over the Pats last week. Could also be without wide receiver Debo Samuel, who has a hamstring injury. Huge. So two players to keep an eye on. Both were huge factors for this team uh, in a game last week. But, again, Tevin Coleman could certainly be a factor this week. They also have Jamichael Hasty, who's like their backup backup running back. Uh, he actually had some pretty good plays, too. So some names to keep an eye on. But the 49ers also pretty banged up heading into this Sunday's game. All right. Coming up next, are the 49ers still the Seahawks' biggest rival? We're looking at still a really tough NFC West, but one with some shifting rivalries uh, and powers. So we're going to get to that next in the huddle. This is the huddle. Every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome back into the huddle with Dave Wyman, Tom Wassel, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. We're going to be joined in just a couple minutes by Shaquem Griffin and Ryan Neal, both having great yeah. moments on defense for the Seahawks, uh, kind of coming up at a time when Seattle really, really needs the help. But before we get to that, it's the 49ers this Sunday. We've got to ask ourselves about this rivalry once again. Dave, is this still very much the Seahawks' biggest rival? I don't think so. I think it's the Rams. Ooh, I think the Rams. Dave, I agree with you, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I feel, and I felt like going into the season that everybody was counting them out, and they were going to put Arizona ahead of them. I think the Rams have always been a problem for the Seahawks. And remember last year, there was a, you know, if they hadn't missed that kick at the end, they would have swept them, and they took care of them pretty handily down in L.A. to took care of the Seahawks. That is, so I feel like as far as matchups go. I mean, this the 49er thing, that goes back to Legion of Boom and, and all that. But um, I, I haven't felt like, you know, at, once they got really bad, it became the Rams. And then and I thought kind of at the uh, at the height of it was when uh, Justin Britt hit Aaron Donald out by where the cheerleaders stand. I loved that. <laughs> and it, it actually, you know, that were and they got in a little, they bit, got of into a a little bit of a fight. fight afterwards. And I remember Britt getting on the plane and uh you know and he was mumbling something and i asked him about it and he goes i'm going to punch him right in his fat gut is what he yeah, said wow. about aaron donald so you know i'm that's yeah, that taking aaron that donald, dude on top of a list of people i would never want to get never want to mess with. with that's the thing well Brit- also doesn't have a fat gut it's yeah, pretty ripped up so weirdly in shape for a defensive tackle <laughs> maybe at, at the time maybe at the time he had one but Britt, remember he was like a state champion heavyweight wrestler yeah oh i'm sure Britt wanted yes. to wrestle don't, him don't sure. mess with the wrestlers yeah, i'm telling you not. Those are those are the guys that can twist you into a knot. But you anyway, make a good point though. I mean, it's hard to look at the 49ers as just an ongoing rival with the Seahawks when they were sitting at the bottom of the division for right. almost five years in a row. Jake, what do you think? 
Well, I think if you don't understand just absolute pettiness, then you don't understand rivalries because it doesn't matter who is on top, who who is at the bottom. You're still always going to hold on to that rivalry. Um, The other side of it, though, is is that there's moments that it gets revived, right? And over the last couple years, and you know, last year and this year, I think that that rivalry gets revived, and you you it takes on a different you know frame uh it it takes on you know with different players but it still lingers and it's still there i mean you know you could look onto you know my twitter and today i reposted a uh post from uh, parker lewis jr who uh had a highlight of russell wilson's every touchdown pass against the 49ers and encouraged every seahawk fan to uh retweet it to bless the 49ers timeline uh on their twitter (laughs) so you know it's those opportunities it's those digs that you live for and that's what makes sports great yeah, there seems to be, um, for whatever reason, more trash talk going back and forth between Niner fans and Seahawk fans. Like we've had, we have a handful of guy, uh, people on Twitter or texting the show that are definitively Niner fans just trolling us. We never get Ram fans doing that, and the Cardinals that fans that talk to us are usually pretty polite about it. So that's what that, Yeah, but half of Rams fans are still rivalry. figuring out that there's a football team in LA. Like they're just learning the basics right now. You know what <laughs> I mean? They're getting fair, it settled. They've got to learn what a field goal is and everything before they try to come at us with any insults. Well, the Arizona fans right all here, baby. All the Arizona fans do is sell their tickets to Seahawk fans. Gross. That's exactly what it is. All right, all right, you guys. Uh, we are going to be joined by two very fun Seahawks guests next. We have Shaquem Griffin and Ryan Neal. That's next on The Huddle. A Huddle, every Thursday from noon to 2 on 710 ESPN Seattle. Welcome into the huddle with Dave Wyman, Tom Wassel, Jake Heaps, and Stacey Ross. We're going to be joined here in just a moment by Shaquem Griffin and Ryan Neal. You guys, I'm, I'm glad that we're joined by these two guys, not just because both are wonderful interviews, both have been on the 710 Airwaves before, but because for all of the negative things that we'll say about this defense, there have been so many strong individual performances, whether it's in individual moments like Ryan Neal with an interception in back-to-back games coming right off the bench, just a fantastic performance by him, or if it's Shaquem Griffin with his own moments trying to get to the passer, an opportunity there to help the pass rush. I mean, there have been moments, Dave, where you've thought, wow, that was a really cool uh, individual performance from that player. Yeah, and you know, and watching Bobby blitz the quarterback, I think he's one of the the best at that. Uh, KJ Wright getting his hand on what four passes in yeah. in two games and getting a pick. I mean, yeah. So there has been that, but you know, and that's the thing that uh, sometimes on our show when we we talk about the defense, it's like, well, you can't really talk about the defense because they're bad. Uh, I disagree. I mean, they're still making some plays. I mean, Benson Mayoa with his you know, fourth down stops in Atlanta and then the stop against um, Minnesota and some of the plays that he's made. There's been a lot of really good, inspiring performances. They're just not playing together, you know, as well as they should be. That's for sure. Yeah, and I think that, too, you know, what you've seen is that even, you know, he Jamal Adams not having been here for a couple weeks – I'm curious to know what this secondary looks like when they're totally healthy because he also had some some standout moments, Jake. Uh, yes. Can you guys hear me? Yep, yep. we got you now. Yep. Okay. All right. Um, so I, I think when when we're looking at uh, – 
that that group, and you're talking about those individual performances, Dave, it, the reason why injuries keep getting brought up and Pete keeps saying, oh, I think we, we're going to get better, is because you look at a guy like Benson Mayoa. Benson Mayoa, the best he has played is when he plays in that sweet spot of 20 to 30% of the snaps, and he is playing such a high percentage of snaps right now. And so I think that his effort, uh, I, I actually applaud it because he's doing something that is outside of his comfort zone and doing it pretty well. You add a guy like Carlos Dunlap you know, next week, and now you've got those two guys playing at a, at a decent, healthy percentage of snaps, not one guy's being asked to do too much. You add Snacks Harrison, it helps Jaron Reed and Puna Ford out. How much can that help this group defensively? Because it's such a different aspect than offense, where offense you want to get more in a rhythm, you want to be in the game more, whereas defensively sometimes it's about can you stay fresh? Yeah, it's a good point you bring up because uh, I remember Jaron Reed early on, too, was playing like 80% of the snaps. So you've got to get those guys in and out of the field. Um, it, I, I think, and I brought this up earlier, do they have the, the talent? And let's go, let's talk to Shaquem. Yeah, let's bring Shaquem on right now. Shaquem, how are you? I'm doing good. How you doing? Good, good. We're joined right now by Shaquem Griffin. Uh, Shaquem, I'm curious. What were the conversations like between defensive players heading out of this loss and into next week? I mean, was there any kind of uh, new conversation that happened? I mean, how have you guys kind of tried to stir up some inspiration uh, for a comeback win against the 49ers? Um, it's just all about mindset. I feel like the, the the main thing that we took away from this game is, is that we can't beat up ourselves and end up carrying it to the next week. It's like, how what do we need to do? How can we fix it and then fix it immediately? And I think this week coming in, everybody had a different mindset coming in as far as like being dialed in, you know, being serious, making sure that they, they tune in to their kids. Cause obviously there's a lot of things and a lot of mistakes that we made that can beat ourselves. And if we continue to make the same mistakes, that we won't get better. So the whole mindset is let's fix the little things, you know, that's focus on the small things and get those dialed in from what they worry about, worry about it later on in the season. Um, so we had a lot of guys who stepped up, you know, Bobby came and talked to us, KJ, my brother, they all stepped up and, you know, spoke out. And a lot of things that some people didn't want to hear had to hear. And I feel like that was the that was the turning point for us to know that, you know, uh, we're going to hold each other accountable and make sure we fix everything we need to to, to, to start winning again. Yeah, tell us about those uh, those conversations. Do you guys have, like, player-only meetings, Shaquem? Or where do those uh, those kinds of sort of uh, come-to-Jesus, if you will, um, uh, talks happen? Um, it, it happens in our uh, defensive meetings um, most of the time when we get together and all the coaches be there, too. So it's not like just player prayer led, but it's it's everybody. You know, it's not only just for the players, it's for the coaches, for everyone to hear. You know, we all in this uh, together. It's, it's all one, and you know, we never want to leave the coaches out because sometimes they got to hear a few things that we were feeling a certain way. And you know, that's I feel like that's what kind of brought us closer together is we able to hold everybody accountable, and you know, being able to communicate with your coaches in in, in that way will, makes a closer team. And I feel like this team this year is is, is, is taking full accountability, not just players-wise, but coaches too. Shaquem, I know that some of the conversation also with Pete Carroll is, you know, don't do too much, right? Don't try and do something that's not a part of your job or, you know, that you need to do something extra, either in the big moments, the big rivalry games, or even when you're struggling. How, how uh, I guess, how much of a relief is that to just realize that, hey, I don't need to do too much other than just do my job to the to the best of my ability and just really focus and dial in on that. 
I mean, that's that's like the most important thing because when you don't have that 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 sense of weight on your back to to be able to go out there, it, it always feels good. So when you just know what you're doing, you know your keys, you know what you need to look at, you know what to, to, to do the right things, and you know your plays. The only thing you do is play football. You know, it don't matter what type of game it is or who you playing. It's, it's, at the end of the day, it's still the same game, and it's football. Um, you got to make your plays, you got to win your matchups, and you gotta you, you gotta you just gotta win out there. And that's the most important thing. So with with Pete being able to remind us of that, it's amazing because you got a lot of coaches who will hype up a a, a Sunday night game or will hype up a Thursday night or a Monday night game, and right. then you'll have everybody so hyped up that they end up making stuff up and, and doing extra just trying to make a play instead of just doing what you've been coached, doing what you've been working on the entire week or just the entire season. You know, just stay you, be you, learn your stuff, and do it right. Now you played – uh, 48% of the defensive snaps the other night, and I know you play special teams too, but when you're there on the sidelines and say sometimes they don't use you until later in the game, are you just like chomping at the bit to get in there? Like, oh, like I know exactly what I'm going to do when I get in there. Is it, is it tough to watch from the sidelines, and how much of a relief is it to finally be in there? I mean, it's a big relief, and I think for me is just make sure I stay dialed in. You know, I want to be able to get out there and try to make things shake as much as possible. I want to try to help and contribute. So my whole thing is, when I'm on the sideline, I stay dialed in. I look at the the guys that's out there. I look at what's going on. For when I get a chance to get out there, I won't be lost. And for me to be able to do that, I mean, it helps out a lot because the more I do, the more I play. So stay dialed into everything that's going on and being able to understand my role. And when I get a chance to go out there, just make plays or it's just trying to make something have something splash when I get a chance to. All right. He is Shaquem Griffin. Shaquem, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. That's no problem. Thank you for having me. <laughs> All right. We're going to be joined here in just a moment. I asked him one deal. time who, who was nicer, him or Shaquille. He said, I'm nicer. I think that <laughs> I, they might, I, it might be true. It's close. It's a, tough, it's a tough call. It is close. They are both just exceptionally nice, kind. I was, I was almost going to say kids. Yeah, <laughs> I can call them. Do you think they? Yeah. Do you think they ever just allow one to be better at something than the other? Because I, I, I don't Absolutely think that's not. the case. They compete in everything. Like who's nicer? Who runs faster? Who's better looking? Who's the better actor? I mean, like whatever I think, like, it is, I, I can't imagine. Can't be easy either. Let's probably like who can eat more. <laughs> even that, even eating contests, huh? Get yeah. Away from it. Well, oh yeah. And I, I was going to ask him, but I, I wonder if because of the the pandemic, do they? Because I think they they room together on the road. I mean, they're always together. I always see them together. So it's it's interesting with with twins, you know. And I know Jim has twins, and you know sometimes they're a little bit they're not as tight. And these two are yeah, really tight. Yeah, you see them together all the time, and just just a pleasure to have both of those guys on this team. We're going to be joined by Ryan Neal here in just one moment. You know, it was interesting. He said that. Shaquem, when he joined us, there were some tough conversations, some things maybe no one wanted to hear. What do you think those were? Yeah, that's interesting, you know, because he mentioned uh, that the coaches were there too. And that's, it, it used to be that the the players would kick the coaches out of the room and say, hey, we need to come together. We need to, to. and sometimes you would have the wrong people that would get up and lead it. Yes, and, that's... Yeah. Jake can confirm. <laughs> and guys would just scream and yell. I remember Jacob Green did one time, and uh, and Jacob said something about how, I'm going to get three sacks this weekend, and I was sitting there going, yeah, sure you are. 
He went and got four, I think. So, I mean, that that's uh, sometimes you see Jacob Green was a great leader, mm-hmm. great leader, one of the best. So every once in a while you see that. But it's interesting that the, the, the coaches were there too. And, you know, I, I don't know how much of it was, you know, a little bit of criticism of them, but who knows. And joining us right now is Ryan Neal. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. How you guys doing? Good, good. I mean, I have to ask you the obvious questions here, which are just tell us how you've been feeling these past few weeks. I mean, you burst onto the scene, thrown into a game last minute. You get called up 24 hours before. You seal the win with an interception, get an interception in the following contest. And, by the way, I got to say, you really impressed a lot of people here at 710 with a separate play. Your hit on a run by Miles Gaskin just blew up that run. It was fantastic. I mean, how are you feeling right now? Well, right now I'm just feeling like, I mean, you know, it's all exciting, you know. It's really a blessing. I'm grateful for it all. Uh, been a long road, and, you know, I'm just taking it one day at a time, one week at a time, and just focused on uh, being the, being even better than the week before, improving week by week, you know, just making sure that my uh, brothers on the field know that I'm accountable and responsible and that they, can, that they can count on me whenever they need me, no matter where it is, no matter what time, when, when my name is called, they know that they can rely on me. So that's just kind of where I'm at with it all right now. Man, you sound like a good teammate. That's that's good stuff, man. Hey, how many plays between did, – did anybody count this? How many plays between interceptions? Because at the end of the uh, Dallas game like – three. And, yeah, what was that, like maybe four or five yeah. later? You, but you, you, as Stacy mentioned, you got an interception in that game against Miami, and then you had the huge hit. Oh, What's fantastic. better? Which one's better? Definitely the interception, game changing. It, I mean, that's that's what you live for on defense, man. I mean, you live for the big hits, but at the end of the day, it's about that ball. You know, we preach about it every day, and that's something that, I, I, man, you just you want more of those. That feeling compared to a big hit feeling, it, to me, is not it's not the same. That that interception, you know, when you get those, it just it, ch- it changes the game, man. It takes the air out of the other team, and you, you get all your guys on, you know, to get everybody going and. The offense gets even more exciting because now they're trying to go ahead and, and finish the deal, you know, seal the deal, you know, get a pick, let's, 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 let's go score, you know what I'm saying? So that the interception feeling definitely overrides the big hit for me. <laughs> uh, Ryan, you know, it's really fun seeing you have these opportunities because I, I myself was kind of a fringe player in the league, mm. you know, trying to make a roster. You get these opportunities. Uh, how how much are you able to enjoy all of this and have a different perspective than maybe some of these guys who have been drafted, been put in these positions right from the get-go, and you have had you know, to, to go through cuts, to go through different organizations and, and you know, kind of go through this road? Man, it's uh, really, it just, when I look back at it all, it's just, it, it astonishes me when I just see how the story's unfolding. Because like I said, man, like you said, it's, you come from, you know, the undrafted and you get cut and you go from team to team and a lot of people, you know, they, 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 they turn it in. I, I mean, I almost turned it in just like, man, this is this game really meant, you know what I mean? Am I that, am, am I as good as I yeah. thought I was? You know, it gets all those questions, but you, 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 know, you, you get the question down. of, uh, what are you, what are you going to do next? Right? Yeah. What are you going to do next? And that definitely pops up and it's just like, man, you know, you, I mean, it's hard, it's tough, but at the end of the day, like I said before, you just you got to come back, man. You got to come back because one thing I do know is if you quit, then you will never know what could have been. You know what I'm saying? And if you don't quit, you will eventually find out. And so that's just kind of how I've been taking it day by day, just keep going back at it. And, you know, even in, when I was on practice squad, just trying to make plays in practice, you know, giving me that confidence and that belief. You know, I'm going against the one. So if I make a play, it's like, okay, that's that's a play I could make in a game against, you know, our starting, you know, our starting offense. And, that, and it just gives you confidence. So, 
you know, those years, I just took the time to just craft, man. You craft, you stay down, you keep working, and eventually it all will pop. So that's just kind of how it happened with me. And like I said, when I think back on it, nothing but just, you know, Love it, man. gratefulness just comes over me, man. It's just like, man, this is just, just you know, it was wonderful. It was just, I can't even explain it now. I'm getting goosebumps talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> Love it, man. Love it. Love it. Well, Pete, Pete Carroll must really trust you out there because – I mean, they've got you running every which way. They've got you in deep coverage. They've got you blitzing. I mean, you're all over the place. And I'm just wondering, like, when you're challenged by your coaches to do more, you know, it's not like you're just coming in in spots. You're out there all the time. Do you respond better to that the more you're challenged? Well, yeah, and it, it, it all comes from just, like, the way I look at it is, you know, first of all, God would never put me in a situation that I, I wasn't prepared to handle. And, and it goes back to those years on practice squad and going from corner to safety. It, it gave me the confidence because I was honing those skills of being able to do whatever was required. So when they asked me to do something, it just it, it boosts my confidence. It's like, okay, they believe I can do it. I definitely believe I can do it. You know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't go, oh, man, that's that's a big, no, nah, I can do that. I can definitely do it. And, and that's all part of showing you know, showing the organization, showing myself, showing the world that I know I, I'm not just a fill-in. You know, I, I believe that I can play this game at a very high level, and then that goes back to just improving week to week and, you know, doing the best that I can. And then it also goes back to, you know what I'm saying, my brothers, when I'm out there and, they, and I tell them, when you see 35, I want them to know, like, no, we, we can play with this dude. He can play. I, I'm, I'm on his team. You know what I mean? So that's kind of the, the, the approach I have to, you know, whenever they ask me to do anything, I'm just like, no, I can do that. Yeah, I definitely can do that. So that's kind of how I approach it. Well, Ryan, we're, we're certainly rooting for you, not just because of your story, but you are just legitimately a fun player to watch, man. You do a great <laughs> job you, out there. You. Best of luck this weekend. Uh, go get them Sunday, okay? Thank you. I will. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate it. Bye. <laughs> I love that guy. You could, you could have a whole team of Ryan Neals, and you, you'd be it. doing well. Yeah, he, he, he's got a great personality. He's got an older brother that played in the NFL uh, for the Packers, and so just I love the story. The question you asked, Jake, you know, does he appreciate it more? Because, yeah, I mean, I, I think when you, uh, you're you chasing it for that long, you have as much adversity and you get cut and all that as he's had, it, it just makes it so much sweeter. So, I, you know, I wish I had appreciated it more. I think I did. But, you know, the time that I did have in there, I guess now I think, man, yeah. what a great job. And I always tell the players, you know, don't think about retiring. It's no good on the outside. Yeah, I mean, you, you, <laughs> well, there was there were times yourself you know, in a radio when studio when I when I when I, when I first got into this, Dave. You said stay away from here. Go go play. Go do something. You know, and yeah. and uh, and and it's it, one of the things that I can attest to with Brian Neal and his mindset and his attitude. And I ask him that question is because when you're on the fringe of things. You feel that finality to it. And some guys, they respond really, really well to it. And some guys are so worried about, oh, I need to do things right. I need to make a mistake. And the other way is how appreciative they are of the moment and love it and are like a kid enjoying every day. Um, and so it just seems like Ryan is is handling it the right way, handling that pressure and, and thriving in it. An awesome way to end the show, to end today's huddle, you guys. Love that message, both from you and Jake and from Ryan. It's been fantastic. Uh, you can hear Dave later during Bob, Dave, and more. That's coming up at 3 p.m. today. Tom, Jake, and Stacy is next, so don't go anywhere. This has been The Huddle.